Welcome to the 55th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, a deep dive into the NBA Conference Finals, and we pick who we think should be in the MLB All-Star Game from the finalists at each position. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. And Patrick's predictions are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Let's start in the NBA. We're in Game 2 of the Bucks versus the Hawks. The Bucks won 125-91. Patrick correctly picked the Bucks to win that game. In Game 3 of the Suns Clippers series, the Clippers won 106-92. Patrick incorrectly picked the Suns. So Patrick went 1-1 one one in NBA predictions this weekend. Turning to Major League Baseball, the Giants took 2-3 of three from the A's in the Bay Area series, or Bay Bridge series. Patrick incorrectly picking the A's to win that series. The Mariners surprisingly took 2-3 of three from the White Sox, with Patrick incorrectly picking the White Sox. The Red Sox swept the Yankees. Patrick incorrectly picked the Yankees. And the Rays took two of three from the Angels, with Patrick correctly picking the Rays to win that series. So Patrick went one and three in his Major League Baseball predictions, which made him two and four overall in this weekend's predictions. That brings him to 114 and 103 overall, a 578 winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts and your predictions. 141 and 103 overall, that is. Um, Yeah, we're going to skip over the NBA for a little bit, obviously, because we're going to talk about uh, both those games and the rest of the games that have happened in between our last uh, Monday edition podcast uh, later when we get to that segment. But for the MLB, uh, yeah, you have the A's game that goes into extra innings. That pretty much swung the series uh, against me uh, on either side of a game two extra innings game. You have both teams winning one game. So other than that, I was, well, I was right. Um Except for that game, the pivotal game went the Giants' way, so that gives me that one wrong. Then you have the Mariners series, where the Mariners take the first game pretty easily, and then the second game they take on a solo home run in the ninth, as the White Sox ground into a double play to end the game. After the Mariners robbed, uh, I forget who it was exactly batting, but robbed the White Sox of a double that would have tied the game in the bottom of the ninth. So basically a few inches and an extra inning game away from 3-1 and one instead of 1-3. and three. But that's the way it goes. Uh, although I will say I was nowhere close to 4-0 and oh because... Uh, I got a little too fancy picking the Yankees. I thought, oh, it's Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole's going to pitch well. Uh, they're going to win the game Cole is starting in because the Yankees always seem to do that. They're the opposite of the Mets. They they actually get their their best starter, uh, his run support. Uh, and no, they not only did they not win that game, and I figured, well, they might get one. They'll get one other if, if they don't get after getting that one. Uh, no, they didn't get that game. They didn't get any other games. They haven't beaten the Red Sox all season this year. Uh, and I also thought that was actually a reason why I would pick them is because I thought there's no way they don't rebound. There's no way they don't win at least one game without Cole starting and then win a Cole start because they have to, right? They, they got swept before uh, at home. They're going to make a statement on the road. Uh, they didn't do that. Um, then you have the Rays beating the Angels. Uh, Shohei Otani was just fine in this series, but the rest of the Angels, pretty much as normal has, as has been all season, pretty much outside of him, nobody did anything. So the Rays... <laughs> He, he came up only a single short of the cycle, and that was the only game that they won in the series. That's what he has to do to let them win the game, other than when he's pitching and he didn't pitch this weekend. Uh, but, yeah, overall, disappointing week in the MLB. But I, I wasn't, I'm not too upset about it because I know that I was very, very close to a very good week. Uh, and it was really just the separation of a few inches, and probably those teams are probably thinking about that. If the White Sox lose their division by a game, they're going to look back at that game against the Mariners. Uh, if the A's lose their division by a game, which is very possible considering that they are in second place, uh, they might 
look at that look at that game against the Giants in extra innings and say they could have won it too. So overall, not too upset about it. Well, and, and one thing to mention, you mentioned Garrett Cole's start. Um, some little, little bit of chatter. He was not very effective um, after the rule about sticky stuff went into uh, went into play, and that was his first start after that. So uh, I know you commented on, on that. So a little bit of chatter in Major League Baseball there. Um, we'll follow that story in the weeks to come. Uh, well, that wraps up our look back at Patrick's predictions, uh, which for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursdays. Let's take a look at the NBA playoffs, starting with the Eastern Conference Finals, and then we'll move on to the Conference Finals in the West. Patrick? In the Eastern Conference Finals, we have the Hawks against the Bucks. Milwaukee leads 2-1. to one. Game 1, the Hawks won 116-113. You obviously can't win a game if you get outscored 106-113, but they did win that game. Uh, Trey Young was magnificent in this game, something that I have put a lot of, uh, not necessarily, uh, n- not scrutiny, but I-, I guess some constructive criticism, you could say, uh, is that while he scores a lot, sometimes it's not very efficient, and in the end, that could come back to bite them. This game was the exact opposite. He scored 48 points, uh, 48-11-7 in total, uh, on 50% shooting, which is, as you know, very, very efficient, uh, especially for a guy who shoots a high volume of threes, and who also shoots a high volume of deep threes that frankly don't go in for maybe more than three or four guys in the league, let's be quite honest. So, Trey with a high degree of difficulty on all of his shots almost, especially being a little bit of an undersized guard, and yet still shooting 50%, it's pretty good. Uh, Trey Young in that game was really what 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 brought the Hawks to the win, and that that's pretty much why they're here in the first place. So, uh, all credit goes to Trey for that win. Uh, and then maybe you could push some of the blame. It was only a three-point margin. Maybe you can push some of it onto the fact that Brooke Lopez is not fast enough to guard anybody on a pick-and-roll. Uh, and, and now that we're sitting here in Game 3, we have the benefit of the hindsight. But if you looked at that after Game 1, everybody was talking about how they had to make an adjustment somehow with Lopez. He had to play less minutes. Just anything they could have done to make sure that they weren't getting burnt on every single pick and roll, which, by the way, was a huge factor in why Trae Young was able to get 48 points. Because, frankly, the Bucks just could not stop what he was doing at all because they don't have a guy to cover the pick and roll as a center. They just bring Capella out. Capella's more mobile uh, than, than Brooke Lopez is. And all of a sudden, Trae's just knocking down threes. Uh, they did, however, make that adjustment for Game 2, where the Bucks won 125-91. to 91. Uh, as we mentioned before, Milwaukee's biggest lead in this game was 41. And I'm pretty sure it was in the second quarter, which just goes to show you, they absolutely dominated the Hawks in this game. And it looks like, frankly, it looks like this might turn into a gentleman sweep kind of a series that the Hawks pulled out one close game and all of a sudden the Bucks had figured everything out and they knew what they were going to do in the rest of the series. Uh, as it stands now, we'll get to Game 3 in a second, but as it stands now, I actually don't think this is going to be a five-game series. I think the Hawks will definitely take another game or two. Uh, however, look, Atlanta never led in that game. And as I said, Milwaukee's biggest lead was 41. Uh, it wasn't really close at all. Uh, Trey Young was had 15 points on 6 of 16 shooting, so not only did he not shoot well, but he did not continue to take shots when he wasn't shooting well. And in the end, you end up with not many points, and inefficient too, which I'd say you'd take 6 of 16 type percentage if he was scoring 30. But if he's only going to score 15 points, 
you don't take that uh, at all. So overall, the Hawks just got ran out of the gym in this game two against the Bucks. And then in game three, the Bucks won 113-102, even after the Hawks jumped out to, I, I think, a 17-4 lead and then definitely a 25-10 lead, which is, look, it's just insane that they that they got out to that big of a lead and still were able to lose the game. But I guess, At home. At home, and I guess, you know what? That's the way that it goes with Atlanta sports teams. But, Ooh, uh, that's but cold. look, it's just how it works there. I mean, look, you blow a 28-3 lead, you blow a 25-10 lead, same thing. One's football, one's basketball. Probably way harder to blow a 28-3 lead in a football game than a 25-10 basketball lead, uh, basketball game. But Atlanta's proving that you can do both. Uh, and a 3-1 series lead in a baseball, in a baseball series, too, in the playoffs. Uh, but I want to take a look at the last, I think this is seven and a half minutes of the game. It goes to 95-88 Atlanta. It looks like Atlanta's taking tr- control of the game, and you're thinking, wow, Atlanta's going up 2-1 at home, and get, and people who win, or teams who win the third game of a series when it's tied 1-1, I believe win the playoff series 80%, around that number, uh, of the time in the NBA playoffs, and you're thinking, they're up 7, with 7.5 seven minutes left. If they keep this lead... This series, not, not, not really the series might be over already, but they're making a really good case for winning the series already. Chris Middleton makes a three. It goes to 95-91. Connaughton makes a two off a steal. Middleton makes another three. Bucks take the lead 96-95 on an 8-0 run in a one minute and five second span. It does not get much quicker than that reversing a game. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen the momentum of a game Swing so quickly. I was barely holding... I'm not going to lie. I was barely holding out hope that the Bucks would win this series or that the Bucks would win this game and, and really have any momentum going forward uh, as soon as it was 95-88. And once they got the lead, I was like, they're taking all the momentum. And if they win game four, they're going to go home and then they're going to win in five. But look, I, I will give the Hawks credit. They did play a very good game in game three, but the rest of this game, it was just... Trey makes a three to go up by two, but then Middleton makes a step back. He ties it. Trey misses a 28-footer, and by the way, he was injured in this game earlier, which is a big factor, uh, but I think you want to talk about that a little bit, so I'll hold that. I'll hold off my commentary on that. Uh, but obviously, if you're injured, you shouldn't be taking 28-footers, but Trey Young shooter's going to shoot, and he did just make it on the possession before. Maybe not exactly 28 feet, but a pretty deep three nonetheless. Uh, and then Middleton makes a three to take the lead, 101-98. Middleton scored 11 out of the Bucks' 13 points to go up 101-98 after they were down 95-88. It was crazy. Then pretty much the rest of the game was Giannis, then Middleton, then Giannis, then Middleton, then Middleton. And then Middleton hit the dagger to go up 112-102. He ended with 20 points in the fourth quarter alone. 38-11-7 total. Chris Middleton, everybody, swinging the series in Milwaukee's favor. Yeah, and Middleton wasn't just making, didn't just get hot. He was making some incredible shots. I mean, you're better at describing them, <laughs> but literally he'd do he'd do like a, a fake step along a baseline, then a turnaround three. It was it was insane. And I uh, will say he even the only two the only two twos he made in the stretch was actually with his foot on the line. So frankly, he could have had more points if he wasn't if he didn't have. I mean, uh, I I guess we're calling it the Kevin Durant at this point from what happened in their series against. The Bucks, but look, I guess they're getting a little bit of that karma back, but obviously in a much smaller moment. But look, 
Frankly, he could have made six threes in a row at some point here. That could have been 22 in the fourth. He could have had 40 if he was literally a few inches back on a few shots. And maybe even if Giannis doesn't take two fadeaways, which frankly he made, so give him a lot of credit. Uh, but frankly, if he doesn't take those, Middleton probably ends up with probably 45 in the fourth quarter because he would have definitely made shots on any possession they gave him the ball. Yeah, so the two stories, as you mentioned, uh, the, the two stories of this game are Middleton getting crazy hot in the fourth quarter, but just going insane. And what happened before that was Trey Young stepping on the foot of the referee, who was just a little bit inbounds, but uh, but you mentioned that's because Atlanta's bench wasn't making enough room for the referee. Although I will there. say every bench does that, yeah. so don't blame Atlanta. But Trey Young left. Trey Trey Young lose, leaves the game, uh, visibly injured. He's doubtful for Game Four, and that just and made. He did, and he went into the locker room and then came back a little bit later in the fourth. And that was after that. That's when the whole. That's when the game changed, and probably the series changed. So that little, you know, you never know what little thing can happen. That that little step uh, back on the referee's foot could have turned this whole series, and frankly could result in changing the whole uh, NBA champion this year. Yes, you're... Although I will say, um, Atlanta was, a- Atlanta and Milwaukee were close in this game. And then when Trey Young came back in, that's when Atlanta pushed the lead to 95-88 uh, with the actually not 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 very often utilized Onyeka Nkongwu, who was a really high... I think a lottery pick for Atlanta last year. I think the number six overall pick. But again, you have John Collins, so you don't... And, and Quinn Capella... So you don't use him very much, but he was big. He was making some defensive plays, and frankly, he would have been the the, the hero of this game uh, if the if Atlanta had been able to pull it out, probably uh, for his defensive plays. And then also, look, he was the one who made the bucket to push it to ninety five eighty eight. That's when I thought this series, the game was over for the Bucks. And I keep saying the series because I can't keep it out of my head. I did kind of think the series was over for whoever lost this game because look, you just look at the stats. It's eighty percent of the time. That the, per, that the team who wins Game 3 in a tied series wins the series. I well, mean, it's very I think it's hard even to higher that. if the road team wins it. So yeah, that too. It's it, it, obviously a must-win game for Atlanta coming up uh, in Game 4 with uh, Trey Young questionable for that game. I'm sure he'll play. He just won't be himself, and he, I don't know that that's what you want out there. He's a guy who relies on his speed and quickness. Although I will say, at the end of a game, having to adjust to an injury in the middle of the game is a lot harder than That's true. having a few days to maybe shoot around on it, feel what you need to do if you need to be... Sometimes it Make adjustments, push off a little differently. a little bit, yeah. but yeah, you need to push off a little differently. Maybe he realizes that he needs to shoot 30-footers, like 28, like 32-footers, and maybe he just needs to stop shooting 30-footers entirely and just start shooting 28 like it's 30, and maybe that's what he needs to do. Maybe you even see him shoot a few mid-range shots that he doesn't very much go uh, go to very often. But, I mean, the whole league doesn't do that. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they try to adjust. All right, well, let's move over to the West. In the West, we have the Clippers against the Suns. Phoenix currently leads the series 3-1. Uh, the, la- the possible last game of the series is on right now, although not very close to over, so we won't be talking about that one. Uh Game two, we talked about game one on the last podcast. Game two, what they're now calling the value-oop. Phoenix wins 104-103. Probably the most iconic shot of this playoffs. Maybe identical to the Anthony Davis buzzer beater from the bubble last year. or Bam Adebayo's block on Jason Tatum's uh, shot that pushed Miami into the the finals. Obviously, you're going to give the edge to the shot that, that helped the champion win. But Bam's play wasn't too bad either. So look, if the, if the Suns win, if the Suns end up winning the title, which I'm not saying they are, I, I again still have the Bucks winning. But if they move forward and if they win the and if they win the title, that might be one of Phoenix's most iconic plays 
not only this season, but easily in franchise history because it meant a lot. Well, maybe all going, in all of Phoenix sports history. That too. I mean, look, going up 2-0 instead of going up, and instead of being tied 1-1 going to L.A. was a huge difference. And as we know, uh, armed with hindsight, again, the biggest weapon in all of sports, um, Game 3 went to L.A. So if you want to talk about the outcome of the series, that play doesn't happen. All of a sudden, L.A.'s up 2-1 at home in Game 4. And maybe they pull out the close one, and now I'm going forward a little too bit. But let's go back to Game 2 and focus in on it for a little bit. Paul George missed two free throws to go up three points in this game. He had the opportunity to push this lead to 105-102. He missed both free throws. Uh, Phoenix gets the ball back with, I think, eight seconds left. They, I think they messed up their original player, or, or, clip, or the Clippers yes. fouled them. Uh, no, they missed it, the first shot. Right, they missed the first shot, and, and, and it ended up out of bounds off of the Clippers. Uh, no, no wrong call there or anything. Not, not, not controversy there. But um, then you end up with a second le- with point point one left. Point nine. Point nine. Yeah, point nine left. You there. There's nothing you can do there. There, there's there are only a few plays. You can only get up a catch and shoot. You can't dribble. Um, Booker is very good off the dribble. Catch and shoot, he's also very good, but you'd rather him dribbling and shooting. So your best option on there is probably getting it to DeAndre Ayton, and that's exactly what they did. And credit to Devin Booker for setting a perfect screen in the lane to free up, uh, not to free up Ayton's defender, but to free up Ayton himself from his defender. Jay Crowder throws a perfect lob. And Uh, Jay Crowder faked the inbound the other direction to draw, I think, was it Boogie Cousins who was guarding the inbound? Yeah. To, um, so, to make he, it possible that a passing He makes lane? a great lob right, well, frankly, almost right into the basket. Yes. Um, but uh, as we know, well, maybe not as many people know, but actually on an inbounds pass, since, since you cannot make a shot, there is no goaltending either way. So uh, if you wanted to, somebody could have slapped the shot. So, I, I called it a shot. Somebody could have slapped the inbounds pass straight out of the cylinder if they wanted to. Uh, I don't know if the Clippers knew that rule. It's pretty much a pretty ex- obscure rule that's not used very often because they were. Was Zubac defending? Yes, because his compl- hand got caught in the net. Well, his hand his hand hit the rim, but I am saying that I, they they were screaming for goaltending, and it was very obviously not if you know that rule. But I'm going to be quite honest. I didn't know that rule until until after that play happened. So. Um, I'm not going to fault them for that. I don't fault anybody for not knowing. Well, that you're rule. not a professional basketball player or coach who's, who's paid a true. lot of money to know those little that intricacies. Is, that is very, rules. very true. Um, but they got the perfect alley oop to DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Ayton makes it. And by the way, Paul George. Speaking of the few free throws that he did miss, he was only five for ten in the entire game from the free throw line. He needs to step up more. And uh, actually, as we're watching this game, he is playing pretty well in this game. I'm not going to lie. But, and he's doing it very efficiently, which, which is a common theme in the series. But, look, Devin Booker has not really been himself, and he got nicked up in this game a little bit. Uh, but, look, they get the play to Aiton. Aiton in this game went for 24-14. and 14. Cam Payne goes for 29-9 while Chris Paul is still out. And Phoenix takes a 2-0 lead over L.A., which is absolutely huge as you're going back to L.A. Although, look, L.A. won the first two series down 2-0, so you can't count them out. Uh, and that's exactly what happened in Game 3. They win Game 3, 106-92. Paul George scores 27 points, but shoots 9 for 26. So again, not very efficient. Uh, but the key was Reggie Jackson, the second scorer, score, shoot it, or making the same amount of shots. 
that Paul George did, but scoring 23 only and on 9 of 17 shooting. So if you get the second guy to get 23 and Paul George plays at least wet, at least scores a lot, scores near 30, you're looking pretty good in that game. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, meanwhile, Masked Booker, who everybody thought was going to turn into Masked Kobe or Masked Kyrie or Masked LeBron, uh, was anything but that, shooting 5 for 21 for 15 points only. And CP3 shoots 5 for 19 for 15 points, uh, although he did add 12 assists to that. He was coming off a COVID pause. So. Although, yes, he was coming off of that, but uh, as we know, he is he was vaccinated. He wasn't having very many symptoms. He was having some lively FaceTime calls in the locker room <laughs> after both Game 1 and Game 2. So I don't really think this is one of those things where he... Uh, he had too much of a um, of a bodily reaction to it, but yeah, definitely having the pause is not doesn't help him at all. Uh, but look, credit to LA for bouncing back and winning that and winning that game. And frankly, they could have I easily bet- packed it in after that debilitating loss and without their star player. I mean, they showed a lot of fight. And frankly, although I will say, I think that I think the Clippers are prepared to play the rest of the playoffs without Kawhi. Oh, they know. They know. I think it's. I, I think. I'll just say the messaging of having your star player sitting up in the press, uh, not the press box, the uh, in a suite in the suites, it's just not a good look, and that indicates he's not playing. Correct. Um, although I will say his lack of enthusiasm doesn't indicate he's not playing. That indicates That's that just his normal. mental is just fine. That's just normal for him. Uh, only for him though. But let's move to game four, which is probably the sloppiest game of the entire playoffs so far. Maybe excluding a game that the Knicks played in because. Naturally, they they don't they're, they're not a very uh, not not the most efficient uh, offensive team. So look, game four, Phoenix wins eighty four eighty. Phoenix shot thirty six percent from the field. The Clippers shot thirty two point five percent. Again, sloppy as I said. Uh, the Clippers shot eleven more free throws than Phoenix with thirty two but ended up shooting 65.6% from the line. Brutal. Somehow with an 11 attempt advantage, only a three free throws made advantage over Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix shoots 18 of 21 uh, compared to the Clippers 21 of 32, which which Phoenix was good enough for 85.7%. PG scores 23 and grabs 16 rebounds, but shoots 25%, 5 of 20, and 12 of 18 from the free throw line, which... Not a very good free throw percentage, especially for a guy who is normally a very good free throw shooter. Meanwhile, DeAndre Ayton goes for 19 points and 22 rebounds, nine of those offensive rebounds, and four blocks. He almost had a double-double off of offensive rebounds and points alone. That's insane, because he also brought in 13 defensive rebounds, and overall, Ayton just... Ayton was the big factor in this game that brought Phoenix over. He's the guy who is... The reason why they took this 3-1 series lead. Booker goes for 25, but like Paul George, not very efficient, although much more efficient than Paul George. But 8 for 22, not very efficient, but he was 9 of 11 from the free throw line. But I would just like to point out, he has scored a max maximum amount of points of 25 with a best shooting per- performance of 36.4% field goal since his 40-point game in Game 1 of the series. Who knows? Maybe it could all change. Maybe it... I mean... I think he's definitely surpassed 25 points in this game. I don't know how efficient he's In game he's been. five? Uh, yes, in the game five that's ongoing right now. I think he definitely will surpass it, I should say. Not not yet, but um, it, it could change. We'll, we'll see. And maybe in game six and game seven, he returns back to form and carries it into the finals if they make it. 
Yeah, well, as we mentioned, uh, the Clippers were very short-manned without Kawhi Leonard. Really needed to have the ball bounce their way. They blew it at the end of game two. Uh, and not only that, as you've mentioned, Paul George's free throw shooting. If he would just make a few more free throws, a normal number, they could very well be up 3-1 in this series. We'll see what happens with uh, this series as it continues on. Now let's take a look over at Major League Baseball, where the uh, top three vote-getters for position players in both the American and National League were announced uh, for Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. Uh, if you're not familiar with the format, uh, fans vote on the position players in each league. Top three vote-getters go to round two. And there's a as short... As finalists for starters. As finalists for the starting positions. There's a short voting window, approximately five days. Uh, I believe they'll be announced on... The winners will be announced on Thursday, the starting players. So that's how the starting uh, players, position players at least, in the American and National League are chosen. Um, and so since those were announced, uh, we figured we'd pick who we believe should be in the MLB All-Star Game from the finalists who were announced this weekend, past weekend. Um, just a little tidbit, typical All-Star Game rosters have 34 players. We're going to pick 21 position players and make sure that all teams, per the All-Star Game selection rules, have at least one player in the game. And, I'll be, next, and we next podcast, we will be picking the 13 pitchers that we want. I think we're going to go with five starters and eight relievers because actually that's actually a typical roster size for pitchers. Uh, but if we don't mention a player from a team, a little bit of foreshadowing, it means we're picking a picture, pitcher from them, and we already know that. Uh, I think you can guess one team that already is like that uh, if you follow the MLB. So let's go position by position, starting in the National League with the top three vote-getters and talk about who we would pick. Um, starting with the catcher in the National League, you've got Buster Posey from the San Francisco Giants, Yadier Molina from the St. Louis Cardinals, and Wilson Contreras, Contreras from the Chicago Cubs. And I might have you read these off because you're better at pronouncing names. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I have Buster Posey and Yadier Molina taking, taking the cake for the two catchers because, look, you can't have a roster without two catchers. Uh, you can't just have one. But I will say also when we have 21 position players, there's definitely enough room to keep two catchers. And those are two who I've been, who I think have been performing the best. And frankly, kind of doesn't matter because I don't make up the millions of votes. Uh, and and the people who are in first are very very likely to end up staying in first as the starters for the All Star game. All right. Well, you're going to hear some theories for me. First of all, I'm picking I'm picking to win, and I want to have versatility and maybe some specialists. I'm taking all three of those guys because uh, Buster Posey can actually go and play first base. And Contreras, you might need to throw somebody out late innings, but I'm taking all three guys. First base. At first base, we have Max Muncy, Freddie Freeman, and Anthony Rizzo. I'm taking Muncy and Freeman. Muncy, frankly, if he wasn't injured, would have numbers that maybe wouldn't put him in the MVP race, but would put him in some Dodgers fans' mind as maybe a guy who can get to 10th in voting from a few local journalists. And I agree with you on those two picks. Again, Muncy with a ton of versatility can play all over the infield. Frankly, he could probably play outfield if and he also wanted with to. Dave, and also with Dave Roberts managing, he might even play him somewhere else knowing that he is his own manager. All right, let's move to second base. Uh, at second base, I have Ozzie Albies, Adam Frazier, who at one point was leading the NL in average. I don't know if he still is, but he, he I think he actually is. Um and a write-in candidate, Ryan McMahon, who also plays pretty much all over the infield uh, for Colorado. Because, again, everybody has to have one, uh, or every team has to have one. 16 home runs, 44 RBIs, very good numbers. Well, I call this the position of getting teams selection. So I agree with you, agree with you on Albies and Frazier, which gets you Pittsburgh. I also He's agree, the only one who you could Exactly. I also Pittsburgh. agree with the hometown favorite, Ryan McMahon, at second base from the Colorado Rockies. And hopefully he's in the home run derby as well. And then I'm also filling my Arizona Diamondback slot with Eduardo Escobar at second base. 
I have Eduardo Escobar at third base, so I will go through that right now. I do agree with you on that one. 17 home runs, 52 RBIs, also very good numbers on the season. Uh, I also have Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, and Justin Turner. Yes, I picked every single third baseman. Uh, because why? Because why not? As you said, you could put Eduardo Escobar at second base, too. Look, you could move a lot of these guys around, uh, maybe with the exception of Nolan Arenado. And, and Chris Bryant can play the outfield. Well, so thank you. I do have Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado. I left Justin Turner off just because I didn't want to be want to sound biased, yeah. too biased. And I, I have another biased Dodger pick. But uh, I have Bryant and Arenado because uh, you'll hear I'm pretty light in the outfield. Had to figure that with all those second basemen, but one slash second base slash third base and all those catchers. Had to get some outfield coverage. Bryant probably deserves to start at third base and he can play in the outfield. All right, let's move to the most obvious position of the National League, shortstop. Yeah, obviously at shortstop, you have Fernando Tatis Jr. And you know what? I put Brandon Crawford in there, too. Uh, I hate that Javi Baez has 100-plus strikeouts before the All-Star breaks even, frankly, before the voting's even done. Uh, and I, I got some other Cubs players in there instead. I took all three of them. Let's go to the outfield, where we've got a whole host of options. you got nine people to choose from. Pick your favorite. Uh, no one through three at each position. They just do straight up outfield because pretty much everybody in the outfield can play everywhere. I have Ronald Lacuna Jr., pretty obvious pick. Uh, I have Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. Uh, I think, look, Cincinnati deserves a representation. They're, they're, they're a decent team. Uh, and look, if you, the average team, if you have 21, if you have 34 players, should have just over two players. So I think average team gets two players. I agree with you. Enough. I agree with you on those uh, three. And I also have Mookie Betts, Chris Taylor, Juan Soto, and two write-in candidates, Adam Duvall, uh, because look, Miami's got no other hope other than Jesus Aguilar, and I, I don't know about that one. It's it's pretty much between those two. And then I also gave it to Raimel Tapia, who's hitting 292, which is seventh in the NL. Because why would the MLB not want to have two guys from Colorado there when they already put Trevor Story in the home run derby, who frankly isn't very high up on home run lists? So I have Mookie Betts uh, as much just because I believe he deserves it for last year. And frankly, for his defense, he's just a great all-around player, not having the best of years. Uh, I have Bryce Harper filling the Philadelphia slot. You disagree with me there. I agree with you. Um, They have plenty of pitching for that. Yeah, I agree with you with Miami's representative, Adam Duvall. And then my representative from Washington is Kyle Schwarber. He hit two home runs already today since he's on fire. Since moving to leadoff spot in mid-June, he has 15 home runs in June, um, in the month of June alone, and 10 home runs in a nine-game span, the first time any player's done that since 2002. Who would have thought? I, I do agree with you, though, that if, if Kyle Schorber has to be at the— he has to be in Colorado over the spring. If he's not in the home run derby, I'm going to go crazy— uh, and if he's not in the home run derby, he better be in the All-Star game. I do agree with that. Yeah, so I don't have anybody from the Mets listed, nor do I have anybody from Milwaukee listed. Uh, I agree with you there, and I also don't have anybody from Philadelphia listed. Uh, let's just say those three teams might make up my entire starting rotation, maybe with the exception of one Dodger. Okay, well, let's, yeah, yeah, one, only one Dodger. That'll be interesting when we talk about that next time. Let's, said maybe. It's got to be more than one. Let's move to the American League. In the American League, we have the names that you can't pronounce, which is the reason why I'm saying this instead. We have Salvador Perez. I can pronounce that. Martin Maldonado, Yasmani Grandal. You can only pronounce Grandal because he's played for the Dodgers before. Uh, I took Salvador Perez, uh, and I was thinking about writing in Yermin Marquez just because he's been a pretty polarizing player. And, and frankly, I don't think anybody who's hitting in the one-anythings should be in the All-Star game, which is Yasmani Grandal. Uh, but if I had to pick... Look, I just pick whatever the AL manager wants to pick out of Grandal and Mercedes, but I'd give the slight edge to Yermin Mercedes just because he's a better hitter 
Well, I took Perez as my Kansas City rep. That makes it, takes them off the board. Probably a no-brainer there. <laughs> and I took uh, Martin Maldonado from Houston. Okay, well, I didn't want to put too many Houston players in them. Because well, I penalized I other ones. I penalized um, other other Astros. Okay, well, that well, that's not very fair. But anyway, let's move on from that. Uh, at first base, I not only have all three of the finalists, but I also have a writing candidate. Uh, the ver- the first one is just so obvious. It's Vladimir Guerrero. He's the league MVP until proven otherwise. So look, that's who you got to go with. And by the way, they do split MVP in AL and NL, so there is no Tatis in this discussion. Uh, then I have Yuli Gurriel going in. Look, just monster numbers from the plate, leading the Astros, who are the best offensive team in the league, at almost every offensive category. And when you do that, if you're the best on the best of the best, you have to be in the All-Star game, uh, no matter if there's an MVP candidate in front of you at your same position. Then I went with Jose Abreu as my Chicago White Sox rep. Uh, I also went with this because he might be injured, so he might get an injury replacement. And then for Oakland, for my Oakland ref, I gave it to uh, Oakland ref. Oakland rep, <laughs> I gave it to Matt Olson because he leads the team. He leads the team in average home runs and RBIs, 296 average, 20 home runs, 53 RBIs. Frankly, really good numbers not only for Oakland but for the entire league. So I agree with you about Matt Olson. Um, I don't like Guriel, so I left him off. Um, I have Vlad Guerrero's there, and then what about the Tigers, man? Jonathan, whose name I can't pronounce. Scope? Yeah. Well, he's listed as a second baseman, which is why I have him at second well, he, base. But he also, but he also plays first base. So but he I'm plays tra- mostly second base. Yeah, I squeezed him into first base. So it, we agree he's few, on the team. You know, there are a few, there are a few like that where, especially because they're not going to be finalists and they're not going to be starters, their positions might be debated. So you can really go back and forth on this. Same thing with Ryan McMahon and Eduardo Escobar. That's why we're both kind of picking them at different positions because look. The managers can put them wherever they want as long as they're right. not voted in at some place. And then you've got a DH, too, that you can fill. Right. So the, anybody can be the DH. So, okay, so so there, that's first base. Uh, let's go to second base. So We're, at second base, we have Marcus Simeon, Jose Altuve, DJ LeMayhew as the finalists. Uh, I picked Simeon and Altuve. Uh, Altuve's having a great season, as he pretty much always does. Uh, Simeon's having not necessarily a breakout year. I, th- I think people knew how good he was, but I don't think anybody had him as this good going into the year. And he has just continued to hit and hit and hit and hit. And then you have Jonathan Scope as the writing candidate because there's nobody else you can put there from Detroit. Uh, he's hitting 271 with 15 home runs and 41 RBIs. Anybody above the 40 RBI mark, frankly, deserves at least a look uh, for this game. And, and look, if you need to fill a team spot, anybody who has 40 RBIs, you gotta put you got to put the guy there. So we just we discussed, we agree on that. Second base uh, the, uh, that I don't have is the write-in from the top. Three, I have Marcus Simeon from Toronto and Jose Altuve. I do not have DJ LeMahieu. So let's move to third base. At third base, we have Rafael Devers, who I believe leads the league in RBIs right now and also has, I think, 16 or 17 home runs to go with that. Uh, Alex Bregman from Houston, Yoan Moncada from Chicago, although that has been described as the uh, very obvious popularity pick. Not really much of a legitimate candidate, to be quite honest. Not going not gonna to rip him too much for it because, frankly... Good for you. You play with a good fan base. Um, but I wrote in Jose Ramirez from Cleveland because you have to have the Cleveland rep. And look, he's hitting 258. He's got 16 home runs, 44 RBIs. By the way, his numbers are a lot better than Moncada. He just happens to play in a city that doesn't have very many fans. So uh, I agree with you on all those, except I don't have Alex Bregman. Uh, I don't have Alex Bregman either. Oh, so I have we... Devers and, and, and Ramirez, yeah. Oh, I have Moncada also, just because I wanted to choose a White Sox. That was a White Sox player to choose, and I did not take... Uh, Abreu. So, 
And Abreu, again, might be injured anyway. So I'm picking him just in case he might be there. So maybe you've um, got a pitcher for the White Sox. Let's uh, right. move over to shortstop. Oh, no, 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 no. I had, I, had, I had Abreu, so I do have my White Sox wrap. Oh, but that's... I will also have a... I, I will gotcha. Have he a, might get replaced. In, right. In he your... just might get replaced, which I don't think they actually... I don't know if they cover that. That's a good question. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to shortstop, where we have another Boston Red Sox who is absolutely the most obvious pick in the world for an all-star position, uh, Xander Bogarts. And then we have Bo Bichette, and then we have Carlos Correa. Um, I actually, we both definitely agree on Bogarts. I, I, at least I haven't actually looked at your list, but yes, I really hope so. Yes, of course, so. of course. Um, otherwise, I'm not I, that I'd stupid. have to talk to you about that one. Yeah, I probably uh, disqualified in the future. I actually am taking Carlos Correa over Bo Bichette, even though I don't like him at all uh, Same as here. a Dodgers fan. Same but here. He deserves it. His numbers are way better than Bichette's yep. in pretty much every category. So he deserves it. I'm going to put him there. Uh, now let's move on to the outfield where we have Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, Byron Buxton, Michael Brantley, Adelise Garcia, Teoscar Hernandez, Cedric Mullins, Alex Verdugo, Randall Grichuk, uh, and that's it. I almost read the DHs off. Uh, I have a write-in candidate here, too. Uh, Mitch Hanniger from Seattle, 17 home runs, 45 RBIs on the year, pretty much the only pick you can give from Seattle other than Kyle Seeger, but that's a little bit questionable, and the AL has a lot of good third basemen. Uh, I also wrote in Austin Meadows, who was kind of an outfielder and a DH, uh, 16 home runs, 54 RBIs. Pretty much Tampa has some pretty le- pretty evenly spread offense, and he's kind of been the only uh, tipping point for them, so I picked him. Uh, and then for the rest of the outfield, I know Trout and Buxton, well, I don't know that for a fact that Buxton won't be playing. I think Buxton's hurt. But That's Trout, what I assume. Buxton is hurt, but Trout is definitely out through the All-Star break. They moved him to the 60-day IL. Uh, so I have Judge, I have Brantley, who is the average leader in the entire league, uh, Adelise Garcia, because Texas needs a rep, and frankly, he would deserve it on any team. Uh, also, I have Teoscar Hernandez and Cedric Mullins, because he's really the only legitimate Baltimore rep. So you and I agree on everything, except I don't have Hernandez from Toronto. I've got Aaron Judge, Garcia from as a Texas rep, Michael Brantley, Mullins from Baltimore, because he's the only one. I got Austin Meadows written in, too. Um, I, I assume Buxton's hurt. And so we need somebody else from Minnesota. So let's see if Nelson Cruz can actually play in the field. If not, he'll just be your DH. And again, I agree with you uh, on Hanniger from Seattle. And I've got Austin Meadows from Tampa Bay. So I think we're pretty much the same. Yep. And on to the DHs, I have Shohei Otani. I think it's a pretty obvious pick. And then because I had to have, a, because you had to have somebody from Minnesota, uh, I did pick Nelson Cruz over J.D. Martinez. Uh, although J.D. pretty much deserves as equal as a shot as Nelson. Uh, Nelson Cruz hitting 299 with 17 home runs and 42 RBIs. And again, you're probably not going to get him to, to play in the field, so he'll be a DH. Well, so then and I, I uh, overlooked somebody. That's uh, my Kansas City Royals uh, pick. Um, when we were talking about second baseman, I overlooked him because um, I need somebody who, if i got to have a steal or a pinch runner in a late-game situation, I've got Whit Merrifield who is a stolen base specialist to be my rep with the Kansas City. He can also play Royals. the outfield and actually plays more outfield than second base. Well, anyway, all I have is him as a stolen base specialist slash pinch runner. Well, I'm you trying need to some outfielders because you have Nelson Cruz playing out there right yeah, now. So That's I, not going to work so out. So I missed, I missed, uh, <laughs> I missed, I missed, missed good old Whit Merrifield. Um, so who does that? I, I actually covered every single team with position players. I have one rep. So now I have freedom on my pitching staff to pitch the best pitchers. Are yeah, you missing I, anybody? I did the same because uh, in this league, there are actually, I think the NL has more crazy, ridiculous, passionate fan bases that are uh, 
that always push their guys to the top, i.e. Uh, L.A., St. Louis, Chicago, and San Francisco. So you don't get anybody from the lower teams. Uh, we had a bunch of write-in votes, too, but uh, for sure, I think I think you get every position here. I got every position here, although the pitching staff still might be very diverse in terms of what teams guys come from. Yeah, so the question is, why didn't I pick LaCastro for the National League as my speedster? But... Uh, I don't I, even think he's qualified to play. Hey, you pick anybody you want, but I don't think Dave Roberts is going to choose him. All right, well, that is it for our look at the position players uh, in Major League Baseball. As we mentioned, we will be uh, looking at the starting pitchers in our next podcast because that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Our next podcast will be on Friday, July 2nd, where we will talk about Major League Baseball, including uh, our picks for starting pitchers. Uh, and we'll also talk about significant events in the world of sports. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including tomorrow's NBA Power Rankings update, his picks for next weekend's game, next weekend's games, easy for me to say, and his Major League Baseball Power Rankings, which are posted on Saturdays, all on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.